Hello, and welcome to Wealth Vision 2020, where we discuss markets, economies, and money to help you understand what is happening, why it's happening, and most importantly, what to do about it. I'm Craig Pluta. Today's episode is called The Sausage Factory, where we discuss the final version of the debt ceiling bill and look at what's all included in it. The Fed's upcoming pivot or pause decision as more members of the board express dissenting opinions on raising rates further and the stock market's reaction to it all. Could it be that all of the drama and hype is a bit overdone? Again, Andrea Carroll joins me as we discuss that and more. So it is June. We are solidly in summertime, enjoying the nice, beautiful Wisconsin weather. And uh, meanwhile, there's lots of drama in Washington. Yeah, like, things are heating up everywhere. I mean, it's I know we've never seen it before, so it's a little new and different. But, you know, the top of the news cycle is all about the debt ceiling and where that's going and maybe making progress, maybe not. Um, but then the other one coming up here is the next Fed meeting in the middle of June. So... Yeah, and that one that one's going to be interesting because there's a little bit of controversy right now and it's almost like watching a ping pong match where you'll have one Fed governor come out and say that they really don't see that inflation is coming down as quickly mm-hmm. as they think it should and therefore they should keep raising. Then you have some other Fed governor come out and say it's time not to necessarily stop but at least to pause, et cetera. So yeah, we'll we'll talk a bit about all of that and try to handicap it. I mean, you know, we're sitting here at the beginning of June. I mean, that meeting is in the middle of the month, mm-hmm. so it's not that far away. But also a lot can happen in a short amount of time. Correct, correct. So- Meanwhile, what does the stock market think about all this? Yeah, that's that'll be um, interesting. We'll we'll address that at the very end and talk about how that all actually is being seen by the market. Because remember, and we point this out all the time, the market is a forward-looking instrument. Mm-hmm. So the market is trying to look past many of these items, and that's important to know. All right. So the house voted on the approving the debt ceiling deal. Um, We had 314 votes to support it, 117 opposed it, and four people did not vote. Yeah, I found that that really interesting, the four people that did not vote. And and if you look at who they were, um, it, it was Jim Banks of Indiana, Lauren Bulbart of Colorado, um, Angel Craig of Minnesota and Deborah Ross of North Carolina, and I don't really know what the um, what the thought is behind that, um, but I do think it's also interesting when when as you mentioned, 117 votes were were opposed. When you look at the people who were opposed to it, there's an interesting graphic that I was able to come across, which which showed the. Republicans and the Democrats, and it was sort of like a heat map that showed where each of the people are on the spectrum of philosophy, mm-hmm. their political mm-hmm. philosophy, and who voted no. And I don't think it's going to be any big surprise. On the Democratic side, it's the far, far left people who mostly right. voted no. Mm-hmm. And on the Republican side, it's the far, far right people. 
who right. basically voted no. The question that always comes up, because sometimes people will look at this and say, wow, you know what? I mean, that was closer than it should be. 117 people voting no. You need 218 people. We got 314. So mm-hmm. we, we got, you know, we didn't get um, 100 more. Um, but the question would be, if push comes to shove, a lot of those 117 no votes are no votes for political reasons. And this is part of the oh, problem, for sure. you know, where they'll look at it and say, well, I'm going to vote no, even though we certainly don't want to default. Mm-hmm. But if my vote's not going to cause the default, then I'm voting no. And right. So it's then a, you get it, to go back and say, hey, I didn't approve this. I take no responsibility here. Right. So. Right. Now, if you're um, if you're from Wisconsin, which we are from Wisconsin, so, you know, we have eight congressmen and the votes there were five votes were yes and three votes were no. Um, of the three no votes in Wisconsin, two of them were uh, from the Democratic Party and one no was from the Republican Party. So that's just how that all shook down. Um, but you're right. It's gotten out of the House. Mm-hmm. It is now advanced over to the Senate. And in the Senate, um, Chuck Schumer um, is is leading the Senate, and therefore that will probably go pretty quickly And um, one of the things, and this is, of course, what drives the average person nuts when they're looking at the news and and following this stuff, they they always do wait till the very last minute, which Mm -hmm. means that generally the House will will pass a bill, Mm -hmm. they'll send it over to the Senate. The Senate will take up the bill, but the Senate may not like what they see all in there. And so they may say, okay, we like this mostly, but we're going to mark it up and we're going to say, we don't like this piece, but we want to add in this piece. Mm -hmm. And then it moves to reconciliation where, where you compromise from the house and the Senate, and then you both pass that bill. Well, there's no time for that. Oh no. So (laughs) yeah. So, so they have already said that basically this is an up or down vote. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to put it in here. There can be no additions to it. There can be no amendments to it. In some ways, many people would find that to be actually beneficial because Mm -hmm. it's all the stuff that gets tacked on to bills that becomes kind of annoying. So this is just going to be an up and down vote. My guess would be that it will happen on the weekend Mm -hmm. um, in the Senate. In which case, then it just gets signed by the president as soon as they can, uh, you know, take a break from lunch and walk it up there, <laughs> and and then it becomes law, and then and then we're done with that until the next time that we deal with that, and that becomes a little bit of the controversy that's out there. Should we keep dealing with this? There are pros and cons to getting rid of the debt ceiling, mm-hmm. but. One of the benefits of having a debt ceiling is it does force people who don't want to talk to each other to talk to each other. Right. So I don't know that we're going to get rid of it. But should we talk about what's in the debt ceiling? I saw that there were 99 pages, and I'm hoping you read all of them so you can (laughs) educate us. (laughs) You know, what's very interesting about that is this is a bill. Where where I heard you cannot pull up the bill and read oh, it really? and make any sense of it. That's... And the reason is the way they wrote it is reference to other things. So in other mm. words, there may be a line in there that says um, line item 614 of the such and such bill 
is mm-hmm. amended to this number. And you're like, wait, what? Right. <laughs> well, right. What, what, what was that about? And so you would have to go back and reference that. But let, let's just go through the hallmarks of, mm-hmm. of what is actually in this bill and what everybody was after. And it was a compromise. Mm-hmm. So the first thing to keep in mind is that they suspended the cap for two years. So we've all been talking about, and the media is talking about, the debt ceiling needing to be extended. Mm -hmm. So first thing that people need to know, it was not extended. Right. The original proposal from the Republicans was to raise the debt ceiling, Mm -hmm. and they gave a number. That is not what happened. What happened here is they agreed, they didn't raise it, but they Mm -hmm. agreed to suspend it. Right. And at the end of two years- that is what the debt ceiling will be, whatever that came to. So it was a little bit odd in how they did that. That is odd, because if we reduce our debt, we're really kind of shooting ourselves in the foot at that point. So it's that's a little weird. Or yeah. is it only pushing it to the top end of where it is? Or if it's like, hey, we really, something amazing happened, now we're in a surplus. Well, that's not the new debt ceiling. <laughs> yeah, well, so... So one of the things that should be kept in mind is that whenever they suspend it or or do spending caps, because we're mm-hmm. going to talk about spending caps, because that's one of the major things. Spending caps always sound like we're not going to spend more money. Right. But spending caps in Washington are a little different than that. Yeah. <laughs> spending caps in Washington say, hey, if inflation was 5%, then not spending more money is spending 5% more. Mm-hmm. So so we are, we are never actually reducing the amount of spending. And so mm-hmm. the idea of even getting to where we would have an annual surplus mm-hmm. is just not no it's nowhere <laughs> around <laughs> it you know the last time that that happened was after the Reagan administration where we went into the 90s and then Bill Clinton became president and we did a lot of government spending cuts mm-hmm. and so there was a very brief period under the Clinton administration where there actually was mm-hmm. a surplus for the year and that's the last time we saw that and so I don't think that'll end up happening, but let's talk about some of those spending caps. So it's been it's been said out there that there are six years worth of caps, but let's kind of dissect that a little bit. There are really two years worth of caps. So in the first two years, the way they're going to do it is they're going to say there is a defense cap and there is a non-defense cap, mm-hmm. so everything else. Right. And so those caps have to be met, but that's only going to be happening for 2024 and 2025. Then it's worth knowing that those caps are going to be allowed to have 1% growth. So it goes back to what we just talked about. Mm -hmm. So we're saying we're capping spending, but we're just saying we're not going to raise it as high as we used to raise it. But we are going to put in 1% growth one year over the prior year. So it's a cap with some quotations around it. <laughs> right, right. Now, in the first two years, it's this is going to be far more interesting because there is a sequester provision. And remember what that means. So a sequester, and we did this back in 2011, when nobody can agree on anything, you can have a sequester that just says the automatic default, if we can't agree, is X, Y, Z. We're going to do mm-hmm. this, this, and this. So here's what's going to happen. There are 12 appropriation bills 
that cover all of defense and all of non-defense. Mm-hmm. This is our budgetary process, which almost never um, gets followed in Washington. But there are there are twelve different appropriation bills, and and so not surprisingly, there are twelve subcommittees. Mm-hmm. And so when people see that their congressman is on, a, you know, a financial services committee or a labor and health committee, mm-hmm. those are the subcommittees. And and just so people know what they are, um, the 12 are agriculture and rural development, food and drug administration. That's one. There is a commerce, a justice and science agencies. That's another. There is the defense agency. There's the uh, the Energy and Water Development Agency. There is financial services and general government. There's Homeland Security. There's the Interior, the Environment. There's Labor, Health and Human Services, Education. There's a legislative branch. So that is a, an entire subcommittee um, is is just to figure out how to spend money in the House of Representatives and Congress and things like that. Interesting. Um, there is military construction, veteran affairs. There's uh, foreign operations, the State Department, and there's transportation, housing, and urban development. So the reason why I point those out is it's worth people understanding how complicated this all is. Mm-hmm. There are 12 spending bills. If, in fact, in the first two years – if the committees cannot agree on the cap that has already been set and they don't do all of the 12 bills mm-hmm. by January 1st of the following year, then there is an automatic negative 1% cut across the board on every single area. Hmm. That is meant to hold um, the congressman's feet to the fire because what happens too often is there's no agreement, no agreement, no agreement. <clears throat> Therefore, we don't pass anything right. and we just spend more than we're supposed to. Yeah. So here, instead of getting the 1% increase, you would actually have a 1% decrease if you can't come together and figure out exactly what you're doing. And that, I think, might be a stroke of brilliance mm-hmm. in this because, again – I think that that we can all agree it would be great if Congress could all act like reasonable adults right. and get their job done. But the fact of the matter is if that's all we're going to do is say that, mm-hmm. then then you know, we're just kidding the fact that it's They'll not working. Do it. Yeah. yeah. So now holding their feet to the fire may actually be good. So that's the good news. Here's the bad news. That only applies for the first 2 years. After the first two years, years three through six, there is going to be a combined cap. In other words, mm-hmm. we're not going to divide it defense versus non-defense, just right. one cap. That cap has no sequester attached to it, and therefore there's no teeth in it, mm-hmm. and therefore they're all agreeing that in year three through six, we should limit it to to 1% growth, but we don't know if that's going to happen. Right. So in all likelihood, that's not going to happen. But that is the way the bill reads. So it's got a little bit of teeth in the first two years. It doesn't have any in the um, years three through six. So I know I also read that the in this bill was another provision about um, the work requirements in order to receive food stamps. Uh, right now, there are work requirements for adults aged 49 and younger that um, you have to 
get to in order to receive food stamps. And they are changing that. They're upping the age to 54 and younger if you don't have children at home. Yeah. You know what was interesting about that is I think that that in the beginning there, you gave a lot of information that the media doesn't give. Mm -hmm. All you hear in the media is there is a new work requirement for food stamps. And the fact of the matter is, yeah, for people between 40, above 49 and below 54. Yeah. That that already existed, but it's making it sound like it's a brand new thing. Oh, yeah. So that one, yeah. It's not. (laughs) Yeah. So that one is is, uh, a relatively minor thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, on the Republican side, they would say that philosophically they feel strong about that. What's interesting is it does exempt some people, though. It, it does. It exempts the veterans, homeless. And and interestingly, I mean, I think it, they're trying to be compassionate about it. Even adults who are transitioning out of foster care mm-hmm. to be able to understand that there's a transition process that people um, will go through. The other change is, remember, a lot of these become federal programs, but they're given to states to mm-hmm. administer. And one of the changes is that a lot of states often will say, well, we're exempting these people from it and these people from Mm -hmm. it and these people from it. And right now, a state can exempt 12% of the participants from having to meet that requirement. Right. That's been lowered. Mm -hmm. So now it's at 8%. And so that one um, may have uh, almost more impact. Mm Mm-hmm. So another um, interesting provision in this bill was the $80 billion that was received by the IRS um, through the Inflation Reduction Act. Some of that is going to be um, cut back from them. So they were given a bunch of money and now they're going to get still a lot of money, but slightly less. Yeah, that one has been controversial ever since that act um, passed because it was $80 billion. That's a lot of money. And they were training all different IRS agents, mm-hmm. and it was like, go out and get the money. And so that became very unpopular with a lot of people. And one of the things that they said here is they want to take $10 billion from the 2024 budget mm-hmm. and $10 billion from the 2025 budget. So that's, that gets you to your $20 billion that you were talking about. Still leaves them with $60 billion. Um, what's interesting about this is some appropriations happen on a year-by-year basis where Mm -hmm. it's like, we're in this year, here's your money. And some don't, and this one didn't. So so when the $80 happened, it was all appropriated, and then they basically said to the IRS, you know, use it as you see fit. Mm -hmm. And so the IRS intended to spread that across the next 10-year period of time. And so- what may end up happening, this might not be have as much teeth in it as people think. Mm-hmm. What may end up happening is even though they're they're taking the ten billion from twenty twenty four and twenty twenty five, um, it doesn't prevent the IRS from grabbing some of the other billions right. that are all appropriated and just pulling them forward. So we'll see what kind of an effect that has. But one of the things that that looks like that would be good is that money is going to be redeployed and it's going to be redeployed in some things that both parties did see as essential, some of which happened to be in the military um, spectrum. 
So another controversial part of this bill um, that has been making headlines, I think, on and off for the last couple years is student loans, um, both between the idea of forgiving student loans and the student loan freeze that has been in place since, I think, mid-2020, right around the pandemic time. Yeah, yeah it, it is interesting because the freeze made a lot of sense when a lot of people weren't working. Then it was supposed to be unfrozen. Then it then we went ahead and extended that. Mm-hmm. And that did work its way into this bill. This has been a thorn in the side of a lot of people, a lot of mm-hmm. average Americans even. And so the the freeze in essence is over. So those who do have student loans and have been on freeze mm-hmm. and not having to pay them need to know that by the end of August, that freeze is done. Mm-hmm. And so that will have to come back in. And it doesn't, and and, and people should believe that, right. meaning, meaning that it's been agreed to on both sides that mm-hmm. the freeze is over. So that one's not going to suddenly get a magical extension to happen. The, the interesting thing is on the Republican side, they certainly wanted the forgiveness to be part of the bill. Mm-hmm. So there is the 10000 $10, up to $20,000 worth of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And that probably was the most controversial thing in all of the student loan stuff that you were just talking about. Right. Because, you know, it just brings up all sorts of questions if you paid all of your loans and the next person gets them forgiven. To, mm-hmm. You know, how, how does this actually work? That is not part of this bill. And so it's worth people remembering that. However, um, I think the reason why that didn't actually make its way in is because it is already under review by the Supreme Court. Right. And and there there is reason to believe that the Supreme Court may strike that down and mm-hmm. just say that that is not an executive order kind of thing right. and that you just can't be doing this. So I think that there was less pressure to get it in and more pressure to just get the freeze to be over with. Mm-hmm. So the last part of this bill that we're going to um, talk about here, uh, I read a whole bunch of articles about this bill, didn't come across it at all. But here we've got Detective Craig getting the super secret part of this bill revealed. (laughs) Permitting reform. It's very interesting. When, When the Democratic caucus and the Republican caucuses were all talking about what they want in this bill, Nowhere was permitting reform even being talked about. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, on Sunday, with the bill done, it just showed up. So it's kind of interesting that it it wasn't something that was bantered around and debated. So Mm -hmm. so here's what permitting reform was all about. So it's about fast-tracking some of the construction that's going to be done, and it's about Mm -hmm. a natural gas line. So people probably remember that if you go back, uh, I would say a few months ago, there was a lot of controversy. Joe Manchin, who is a senator of West Virginia, Mm -hmm. really wanted to get, and I think it was with that um, Deficit Reduction Act, wanted to get permitting for a natural gas line. And so what happened here is that has has gone through. So Mm -hmm. here's here's what what has plagued 
this whole project. It's called the Mountain Valley Pipeline. And it's a 303-mile pipeline that goes um, from the Marcellus and the Utica Shale region. And it would be able to transport it all the way to to, uh, Virginia, from West Virginia to Virginia. And, and one of the things that's positive about that is that it's about energy and it's mm-hmm. about natural gas, which is a cleaner energy than oil is. And so getting that pipeline was a big deal, certainly to Senator Manchin for, mm-hmm. for his constituents. That has been blocked by courts and everything else, and they've made the permitting very, very, very difficult. Right. And so it's been plagued by that. And, and he didn't get much support on that mm-hmm. in any of the other bills. And so um, suddenly we see here um, that that has been fast-tracked. And what that means is that both sides have agreed that all permits that are outstanding mm-hmm. are approved. So it's not we're going to go down the process. Right. They are approved. By agreement, they will approve them. No one's going to stand in the way. That's going to get done. So that natural gas pipeline is actually going to be going through. And so that that became partially a national security issue because when you have everything that happened in Russia mm-hmm. and natural gas and holding Europe hostage with natural gas, mm-hmm. that became one of the concerns. And in fact, I would even point out that people need to remember it wasn't that long ago, um, maybe two months ago, where there was also a pipeline um, or a natural gas up in Alaska mm-hmm. that was actually approved as well. And I think that that's being looked at more of national security, that we need to make sure that we're going to have energy all figured out right. and make it easier to have this get done. So that was a big deal. And that was a, a, actually a very big bipartisan win. Because, and I say that because mm-hmm. Joe Manchin is is the Democrat who was pushing this through, and most Republicans on the other side are certainly in favor of of having much more reliance on our own energy as right. opposed to reliance on outside energy. So that was the one. It was it was sneaky. It was interesting. It showed up on Sunday. Um, nobody very, ever talked about that's it. That's very interesting. Sunday before Memorial Day, when even less people are paying attention <laughs> to the news. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, there are other little things that are in this bill. But I mean, by and large, uh, the six that we talked about are are the framework of it. And how much, you know, how much are we actually saving by doing some of the cuts is uncertain. Um, you know, it's spread out over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Probably the most positive thing about the whole thing is that it's forcing a conversation to talk about something that we probably should be talking about, which is, you know, how long can you just keep running up deficits and not paying attention to it just because we need, we need, we need, we right. need. And, and there's an endless amount of money to be able to spend, even if a person wants to raise taxes, there's still an, you know, there's a limited amount. Mm-hmm. Um, so I shouldn't have said endless amount. There's an endless <laughs> desire to spend, right. <laughs> um, but there's a limited amount of money. So that conversations are, are probably good to actually have. 
So by the time the Senate's done voting on the debt ceiling bill, which should be in the next couple days or so, um, the next up on the calendar is the next Fed meeting. And what is going to happen? Everybody wants to know. <laughs> yeah, and and that one and that one has flipped back and forth. I said mm-hmm. earlier when we started that it's almost like watching a ping pong match where. First, uh, yeah, everybody's like, oh, they're absolutely going to be raising rates more. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, they for sure are not going to raise rates anymore. In fact, in one day, the probability of the Fed having a rate hike, when you look at the odds makers, they had a rate hike listed as 70% certain that they would do another quarter point hike. Mm-hmm. By the end of that day, because two Fed governors had spoken, there was a 64% chance that they were not going to raise it at all. Oh, interesting. So yeah. it really is just it's up back in the and air. forth, back <laughs> and forth. And and part of that has to do with some of the numbers that mm-hmm. are coming out. So the current numbers are sitting at a 3.4% unemployment rate and right about 250,000 new jobs posted in April, which is a lot more than they expected, which was about 180,000. Yeah. So, I mean, that's interesting because that means unemployment ticked down by a town Mm -hmm. because it was 3.5%, went to 3.4. And I guess that makes sense if if you had increase um, in the the payrolls Mm -hmm. and the jobs that are being added. You know, here is where we get into part of that ping pong match. When you have super strong job growth, then people will assume, okay, that means that the Fed is not slowing down the economy much because there's more job growth than we even thought there was going to be. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we need to keep slowing down the economy. And that argues in the camp of the hawks. And the hawks would say, we need rates to continue going up. And mm-hmm. the Fed needs to get to June and they need to do another quarter point. Right. Now, you you come back to, well, there is always a breaking point. You know, it's the old straw that broke the camel's back kind mm-hmm. of a situation. There There is a point where things do break. And there is a very, very strong consensus right now that say, despite the fact that growth is strong, we probably need to be really cautious or the Fed probably should be cautious in doing another rate hike. Mm-hmm. And I think the argument would be that the Fed is not – if the Fed doesn't raise rates in June, which is – did we mention that's in the middle of the month? So yes. that's so right around the 14th. So if they don't raise rates in June, what what the market is going to have to figure out is does that mean that they're done mm-hmm. or does that mean that they're done for the moment? Right. So did they pause or did they pivot? Mm-hmm. And so – the the thought is that they will pause but not pivot. Mm-hmm. So they're so they're unlikely to come out and say that was it, we're done. Right. They are. They. It looks like they're leaning more toward let's pause <clears throat> because we don't want to break things, mm-hmm. but let's make it very clear that we may come back in July or August and right. actually continue to raise it a little bit. In which case, in this ping pong match. You get the other people saying, well, if you're just going to do that, then just do it Mm -hmm. and just be done. Right. And so, and there's an argument to be made for doing that. The, The reason why a lot of people would like them to pause 
is because, and we've brought this up before, not every rate hike is in the system. In other words, the effects of some of these prior rate hikes we haven't felt yet. Right. The people who think that the Fed has already gone too far are the advocates of pause Mm -hmm. because their answer would be, if you just make them pause, they will see in another month that they did enough. And then they can come out and say, I guess we're done. Mm -hmm. And if you don't pause and you keep doing it, then you're going to break things. And so, you know, the odds at this moment are that they will pause. There's more dissent right now among the Fed governors than there's been in a while. That's interesting. That is interesting. I know I've read a lot of opinions going both ways. And I mean, you can make a really good case for each each tactic they want to take. So right. it'll be really interesting to see what they actually do. Yeah. So now that the voices are out there for pausing um, with some of the Fed governors, I think it's it's most likely that that is what ends up happening. But we'll see. You know, they maybe do one more and, and then be done with that. So I think at the end of this, what our clients are most concerned about is what does the stock market think about all of this? We know that it's a forward-looking instrument. And so what are we what are we seeing right now? Yeah, it, it's very interesting because the market has had very little reaction to the debt ceiling. And I mm-hmm. think that that surprised people. I know that I had gotten some calls from some people, uh, mm-hmm. you know, about, you know, if we default, what's going to happen? How is the market going to react to it? Is the market going to go negative with the concept that there could be a default? And the market the market has, has sort of taken the attitude, been there, done that, seen this before, mm-hmm. not doing this anymore. And I don't think that people should be surprised because – the market is not a person. The market is a reflection of what investors do. And I think that by and large, most investors have looked at this and said, seen this before, been mm-hmm. down this path before, I'm not going to bail out and then find out that market went kept going up without me and then I'm chasing after it and then right. I lost money. And so I would applaud people for taking that attitude. I think that is the proper attitude to take. Um, at least, you know, in our practice, I mean, we don't have traders that are just going in and out. They're mm-hmm. long-term investors and this does blow over. So the market, it has continued to move up and actually the S&P 500 – um, you know, currently and right now, you know, in this podcast, we are in between the House having already passed the bill, but the Senate hasn't taken it up, but they they will be. Mm-hmm. And we have an S&P 500 that is over 4,200. And people probably remember that that's a very strong, you know, range right up there between 42 and 4,300 it is is a high end of a range. So mm-hmm. it certainly isn't reacting negatively. And when it comes to when it comes to the Fed, the market is going to make a decision. If in fact the Fed pauses and and says that they're not raising rates, I would think that it would not be likely that the market would go on a tear up. Right. I, I would think that it's at a high level. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, the argument could be made that after such a nice movement in the last month or two, that it could stagnate or even test, you know, a little bit lower than this mm-hmm. before going back up. If the market goes on a tear, then the market has made the decision that what they heard from the Fed is that they're done. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we're going to hear that. 
Right. I don't think we're going to hear done. I think we're going to hear pause. Mm-hmm. And and that makes a little bit of difference in all of this. But the good news is that the October low, now that's getting to be a long time ago, the October low of last year so far has been and continues to be the old low. Mm-hmm. And, and we keep increasing higher and higher, setting new support levels as we go with no real retracement going down to that. And part of this is all about whether we actually have a recession or not. Mm-hmm. This has been, the, if we have a recession, it has been the most telegraphed recession in all of human history. And it may go down as the recession that never showed up. Right. And, and that's what the market is trying to figure out because mm-hmm. we keep saying it's coming, we keep saying it's coming, we keep saying it's coming, and the market keeps saying, nope, not not really happening. The good news that people can hang their hat on is that earnings from, from companies that are mm-hmm. reporting their earnings um, do look like they would likely have approximately a 5% increase on their earnings per share. And we still have GDP that is positive. Those aren't bad things. Those are good things. Right. They may be things that frustrate the Fed because um, 70% of our economy is consumer spending. Mm -hmm. And if you want to get pressure off of inflation, you need to have people reduce spending. And nobody seems to want to do that. So they were relying on the fact that if unemployment goes up, that those people don't spend a lot of money. Right. But we'll see. I mean, it's entirely possible inflation continues to come down even with high employment and low unemployment. Well, that's all we have time for today. As always, we thank you for joining us and hope you found it interesting and helpful and look forward to you and your friends joining us next month on Wealth Vision 2020. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know. And if there are other subjects you'd like to hear about, let us know that as well. Wealth Vision 2020 is a production of Alliance Wealth Management Milwaukee, an independent registered investment advisor. Visit us at awmmil.com. The information contained in this podcast does not purport to be a complete description of the securities, markets, or developments referred to in this material. The information has been obtained from sources considered to be reliable, but we do not guarantee that the foregoing material is accurate or complete. Any opinions expressed are, as of this date, subject to change and are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of Raymond James. Past performance does not guarantee future results. No statement within this podcast should be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell a security or to provide investment advice. Raymond James does not provide tax or legal services. Please discuss these matters with the appropriate professional. There is no assurance that any of the trends mentioned will continue or that any of the forecasts mentioned will occur. All investing involves risk, including the possible loss of capital. The S&P 500 is an unmanaged index of 500 widely held stocks, while the Dow Jones Industrial Average is an unmanaged index of 30 large company stocks. It is not possible to invest directly in an index.